Welcome back to another episode of La Bufana's Table. I'm your host, Dina Gregory, and today I have a very special conversation to share with you that I had with Maddie Clark, who is a family constellations facilitator, a soul-centric guide and writer who works with individuals and groups online and in person. In addition to family constellations philosophy, her work is informed by non-dual emotional alchemy practice, the indigenous medicine wheel, the culture of Italy, and perhaps most by being the younger sister of her intellectually disabled brother. Maddie and I spend this conversation talking about the notion of courting convergence, where our integrative efforts have built a momentum where we can surrender control and let the life force take over and bring everything together on our behalf. She's having a series of sessions starting next week to experience ways to court this convergence, employing family constellations philosophy, somatics, emotional alchemy, and an orientation towards courting the third, the life force that connects us all. I really hope this conversation is as soul-nourishing for you as it was for me. Hi, I'm Dina, teacher and reluctant puppeteer turned host of La Bifana's Table, a podcast dedicated to the art of sacred hospitality, where each week listeners are invited to feast on real-life stories of hope and healing, as well as soul-nourishing conversations with folks from all walks of life who are utilizing their gifts in both small ways and large, to make the world a more beautiful place. So pull up a seat, tell some friends, and become a part of a legendary story. How are you? What's alive for you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. I think what's alive for me today is that There's a series of things in my life that are coming together after a long time, and that feels really good. And one of them is this. Yeah, doing this podcast with you after meeting you, dancing the Taranta this spring. I know, that was so fun. And I didn't even make it to the dance party. You were so But we had such a... For listeners who did not we're obviously not with us. We'll just do a little backstory. We met doing the first ever, right? Italian folkloric group in the New York City dance parade. And a few of us got together like once a week to practice. Which rhythm was it? You're more the Taranta. Yeah. Yeah. Taranta from Puglia. From Puglia. And it was just like such a I don't know. It felt like a total reunion of like yeah. old souls and and we were having a great time drumming and dancing and being completely free. And now you're here. So this is really exciting. You know, you've talked to me, you've said convergence a few times. I've heard in the development wholeness world a lot about integration, mm-hmm. but I, I have not come across convergence. And then you put courting convergence. And I feel like a beautiful flirtatiousness Mm -hmm. to that. And talk to me about it and we'll start from there. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. This actually came to me this spring. I had a series of moments that came together and it felt really potent because it felt beyond my orchestration. And I felt like There's something about when we spend a lot of time and energy integrating our parts consciously and steadfastly. We are, as people who want to heal and get free, we want to integrate our parts. Can I pause you for one second? I just, I'm always like, I want to bring everyone along. Our parts? What are you talking about our parts? I'm like, I'm a, this person right here. I've got parts. What? Talk to me about parts. <laughs> yeah, sure. So by parts, I mean that in order to become a little more whole, I'm not sure that complete and total wholeness is possible mm. until maybe we die. Ooh. So I think 
wholeness as an aim is great, but maybe not a formal goal. And I think when we talk about integrating, we are finding parts of ourselves that come from different experiences, that come from different relationships, Mm -hmm. and then we integrate them so that we feel more authentic and full and are in the world from that place. That makes sense. And so having sat with your parts, integrating these parts into a cohesive whole-ish, <laughs> I really love this even notion of like, are we ever whole, which we can go on in another <laughs> in another direction in a second. But I'd love you to continue on this, this path of convergence from there. Yeah. So I just had an experience where so many different parts of myself came together And I can talk about the details too. And again, it was beyond my orchestration. I didn't try for it to happen. I didn't Mm. consciously sit down and think, oh, I have to go integrate that part. Mm. So many things came together all at once. And there was a sort of body felt sensation that it was perhaps more about my willingness to surrender and give up control and align myself with a life force that could do that for me Mm. instead of controlling it in a sort of more linear way. And it's almost a little colder. It's like catharsis and integration is warm. And convergence for me has a little bit of a coolness Mm. to it. And comes from a sort of stillness. It's like after you stop the conscious act of integration and get still and let it catch up with you, or maybe that's not the right way of putting it, but something like that, Mm -hmm. this other force. Yeah, I, I don't really know exactly what I'm talking about, but it's an experience that really shifted the way I thought about integration. I'm really happy you said that. And I'm really happy that's happening at this table because I think that's where we have to go. I think we have to go. I'm on an edge. I'm talking about a lived experience that doesn't have this linear. Yeah. It's like, we don't see the womb space, right? We don't see that mystery unfold. Mm -hmm. but it's in us and we know it happens. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's something very feminine about this kind of surrender. That sits in the eye. And like, this is not a culture that is like, well, let's just sit in this unknowingness together for an awkward time because like we need to have like 15 second reels and 90 second blah, 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 blah. Mm Mm-hmm. But you you did say something else, which I felt like resonated. You started talking, you said, you know, catharsis and integration, and integration like a, a hot or warm yeah. feeling to that. Whereas convergence, you feel, you sense, you know, is, has a coolness to it. Talk about that. I think maybe it's that catharsis is inherently a warmer sensation, at least in my experience of it. And then stillness is cooler. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about it recently, like where, I don't think it's actually the Cape of Good Hope, but at that point and at the tip of Southern Africa, where the Atlantic and the Indian Oceans meet, it's like, that's a really good example of convergence Mm. of a warm and cool body of water. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is something I'm still courting. Mm -hmm. It's like my own kind of mystery. Yeah. And yeah, just to go into the courting part very briefly that it's like, we want to heal. We want to get free and then retrospectively, I didn't realize that 
all of that was a sort of courtship to feel convergent with the life force. I think I thought of it more as wholeness and seeking wholeness, although that's not really realistic in a broken world, right? Mm-hmm. But let me just clarify. So yeah. you just to, to feel like convergence is like an alignment with a like a life force? Yeah. With the life force with what we don't know mm-hmm. about with mystery. In family constellations, we talk about bowing to the mystery. It's like, what is that? How does that work? And there are scientific explanations for it, but it tends to be more powerful if we don't try to know. Mm. Mm -hmm. We just bow to the mystery. So in family constellations, it can happen in many different ways, but traditionally participants in a room come together and they don't know each other and they represent different family members or different parts or archetypes within them or the family system. And again, we don't really know why, but without knowing many or any details about the family system, the representatives will feel or sense things that reveal parts of the system that need to be known to loosen up stagnation or... In in like an energetic field or... Yeah. mm -hmm. In the ancestral field, some people call it the knowing field... We could say the collective unconscious. Mm. And when people gather for this, is it for one person, you know, individual stuff? Mm. Or is it for, you know, a community went through a a trauma together and you're addressing that trauma? Or is it Dina's coming to a family constellation and we're all going to represent for this individual? How, can you explain a little bit more for someone who's not been in? Great question. So... We'll work with one individual's family system Mm -hmm. and different people will represent different members or different parts. However, it's always the case. And when you say family system, I'm going basics. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm the kindergartner. Like what's going on over here? My mom, my dad, Mm -hmm. my siblings, my siblings. That's what we're okay. We're talking family. Okay. Yep. And then also grandparents and sometimes farther back too. So it is always the case that whoever is in the room, even if they're not serving as a representative, they're just, you know, they're a witness. There is some part of their own system or experience being represented and supported. And so one example of that might be, you know, it's not this person's own system constellation, But they come to the workshop that day having an issue with their sister and they end up being asked to represent Mm. a sister that's much like the sister they're having challenges with. So they get something potent too. Mm. And so whether it's courting convergence or family constellation, there's, I mean, that bowing to the mystery of like, people will get what they need. I am not the maker of that you're not the the magician in the room making things happen. No. Right. And, and that's and such, I, which um, is a relief. Such, oh my gosh. <laughs> thing you took the word. Yes. Oh my god. I know these poor gurus having to like oh hold god. this shit together. You're like, you're just as fucked up as I am, man, but we could collectively kind of learn something from each other. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it is such a relief. And it's I mean, it's so wonderful because I'm surprised Mm. every time. I don't know Mm. what we're going to do or where we're going to go. Mm -hmm. I don't have to analyze or interpret or fix. There are basic, important principles that I use Mm -hmm. for sure. And I have to be very willing to 
make mistakes, quote unquote, you know, and then change course. There's a bunch of different ways that I can work. You know, we can have one issue that comes up and 20 different facilitators would look at it from 15, 20 different ways. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's just always surprise and that's so fun and it's fun for everybody. Mm. Can you speak to like a specific experience that someone's had or you've had or something that was like, you know, an epiphany moment in one of these family constellation experiences? Yeah. Facilitated. So someone came to a constellation and they were having a hard time influencing a group of friends about a political issue. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like their group was not hearing and listening to their concerns about a certain politician. Mm-hmm. And so I had no idea what this was, where we were going to go. And I just so happened to ask about their ancestors' experience in Europe during the Holocaust and during anti-Semitism there. Mm -hmm. And they just revealed like all of this trauma of this ancestor that the participant was named after that the participant wrote a book about that like the ancestor died right before she was born. And so it was all about acknowledging that ancestor and not about solving the problem of how do we influence and impact and persuade these people. It was about acknowledging the ancestor and then the quote unquote solutions were very much about acknowledging this ancestor with, you know, the next generation and acknowledging the story and being more public about the story. So yeah, that's a a recent example. That's fascinating, right? Because for me, it reminds me to honor whatever the nugget is that you're starting with, the thread, like grab onto the thread and start tugging at it a little bit, right? Because it's okay. It's the politician. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh no, it's not. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with this actually. <laughs> and I think that's where we get into these kind of more, the more subtle, you know, even if it's po- like the more subtle work mm-hmm. of undoing these, these knots that lead us into the circumstances that we <laughs> are in, in the ugly political <laughs> world. Right. You know, I think that's more on a, on a subtle level. But so this person, I'm curious, like this person came in with that as their inquiry. I guess. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's their inquiry or, mm-hmm. and then they left like how surprised were they that this was, the, that this is what arrived. They were really surprised too. Yeah. I mean, and there was another part to this that was a surprise that sometimes we do exercises that aren't specifically about one person's system, but we use representation in different ways. And so we might do two concentric circles of participants and people will just quickly do a representation. For example, you know, someone's inner eight-year-old and somebody Mm -hmm. does a very quick representation of what that is. And there was one prompt that I did not use that was the unacknowledged ancestor. But then the last constellation was about that. And so in the end, I was like, oh, yeah, look, everybody, what prompt we didn't use, but it showed up in wow. the field anyway. Yeah. And that's just bow to the, bow to the mystery of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's so nice to be in an environment where you're like, okay, wow. That could just be, and we don't have to, that's it. It's just mystery. It's just mystery that the things that want to come through, come through and we, and we take them for what they are and we move forward with Mm -hmm. them. So your work in terms of courting convergence, family constellations is a kind of an anchoring force of, of that work. Yes. What else is that work for you? Also the practice of emotional alchemy, meaning to allow in a radical way 
the expression of different binaries of emotion. So to go ahead and allow ourselves to feel anger, to feel sadness and be with those feelings, be with the highs and lows from an intentional place. Like Mm. let's intend to go into those emotional states, access those parts as another way of being with our whole selves. And is that an aspect of what you're referring to as catharsis or is, is that different? Yeah, I think that is more to do with catharsis and integration. And then it's sort of mysterious how that might help lead to convergence. Mm-hmm. And maybe part of emotional alchemy is also being still with different emotions and letting them course through the body. That feels really potent to me because, I mean, if you look at, you know, what's out in it, it's like always the catharsis and the yeah. heavy. And I love that me because too. I'm like a wild, passionate, like, let's let's dance. Let's do yeah. the Southern folkloric stuff and, you know, let's writhe on the floor and, and really get it out, you know. And most of my practices are like in the contemplative space of mm. centering prayer and just the stillness. I know at least in my journey, I'm not sure in, in yours, like, if it wasn't passion and fire, like, was I even alive? <laughs> like, it, if there's not like a hot sense of drama and all of this, it's like, is this experience even happening? And then, but when you do have stillness, it's just, it's a different, and like, even the invitation, can I be still with anger? Yeah, and it's, you know, that thing everybody's saying, the both and. Oh, right? yes, the both, and. The both and. We're going to be both anding this. Both and. <laughs> yeah, and I think sometimes I might find myself too much in the, oh, I'm just going to stay still and curious about this emotion. <laughs> and sometimes a little too permissive to be full-blown embodied, you know, yeah. so the, the balance of it. Extra. And I think, yeah, we need both, right? We don't want to just be chasing that hot, fiery aliveness only. Right. And we don't want to just be still and isolated. Hermit monks. Right. (laughs) Both and. Both and. (laughs) Just, you know, from Family Constellations, we talk about breaking up the dyad. Okay. So... You know, some people call it maybe collapsing the duality, but in constellations, breaking up the dyad, for example, between two people, you know, one-on-one interaction or confrontation is pretty intense. Mm. And so we can break up the dyad by bringing in someone else or a sort of archetype or emotional entity. So it's just that reminder. I think also, of course, nature, the earth can be that alchemical third, a flower, a tree, a poem, a poem, an ancestor. You know, this is like some people are professional mediators, right? Yeah. Um, Facilitators are kind of a third. So I think the life force itself, you know, that we can access through these things we just mentioned Mm -hmm. and many, many more music, Mm -hmm. painting, Mm -hmm. singing. I think they kind of bring in the mystery, the life force. And so we don't have to problem solve everything. Right. Or be in charge of. Or stay stuck Mm -hmm. between, yeah, you and me or whoever. Mm -hmm. I've been kind of seeing this for me is that I've been looking at it as right, like the third place. Mm -hmm. But, you know, where most of our time is home, Mm -hmm. work, where do we go for the pleasure and the joy and... And the mystery, right? Like, I think the third place for a lot of people, a religion, like a church, a mosque, a temple, that often functions as the, as a third place. La Bafana is the third for all of your podcasts, yeah. right? She's that mysterious archetype. 
And I have to mention the piazza in Italy as Mm. that third place. I think go more and more. Tell me piazza. I think that's what I miss most about living in Italy is the piazza, that place you go in between work and home. You will see some people you know. Yeah. And we'll see some people you don't know. And it's healthy to bring in new people, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a little risky. And like you said, maybe you're not going to agree with some of these new people. And But yeah, that place, that third place. Where community happens, where people and... I mean, I don't want to get into politics, but I do see that in one of your things, you do talk about politics and power in, a, in maybe a different way that I do want to go into. Because when you talk about the piazza and having that third place, and as I, you know, we're adults living in America, like witnessing, like, can our, is our democracy like really going to do democracy? And like, do we even have the inner capability to do democracy? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a polit for me. It's like not politics. It's an inner game. Do we have the expansiveness of our heart to deal with all these oppositional viewpoints? And can they just be there? But like without the piazza, without these third places, how does anyone, how do people bump into each other in the mm. life? Yeah, I think, you know, just to go briefly back to family constellations. Yeah. In that, we want to find that sweet spot where we are our authentic, individuated selves, Mm. individuated from oppressive entanglements in our family system. That's the disentanglement. Right. Mm -hmm. So we are our authentic selves and we belong in the collective And so that can be tricky to balance, Mm. right? And so the politics come in with politics in the sense of the organization of people, Mm. the the societal system, where we plug in there. So, yeah, where do we plug in in terms of our gender, race, class, the land that we live on. So simply acknowledging that in a community space and reconciling that with both where we have positions of power and positions of marginalization, that acknowledgement is just really important. We're presencing like, we're aware of this. This is here. Yeah. And then what? I think... Once we do that, once we reconcile our place within politics, within power structures, okay, then we come to understand where we plug in to activism beyond things being placed on us about what we should do and getting confused and brought all over the place about what we should be doing we kind of start to come back to more local ways that we can be active Mm because that's really what it's about, right? Mm. I mean, personally, I've been through many kind of political dark nights of the soul and doing a lot of trainings and deconditioning and anti-racism work. And that was all super important and great. Okay. And at the end of the day, it's like, oh, the cause I really care about is houselessness. And there are reasons for that that are personal, familial, ancestral, about an intersection of where I hold power, where mm. I'm where I've been marginalized. And so I'm gonna focus my efforts here, where and how and for however long that feels like the right place. Mm. So that's a really kind of quick example of what I mean by that. I think it takes a more, to me, it takes them. I refer to as like a more contemplative approach to it because Mm -hmm. I know at least for me and I'm not passing judgment, but like the social justice warrior kind of archetype Mm -hmm. is not, I don't think that's long-term sustainable. 
I think it has to be held, you know, like Adrienne Marie Brown says mm-hmm. in Pleasure Activism, right? It has to be held in a container of pleasure and joy. Mm. And I think sometimes we underestimate how taxing that work is Mm -hmm. and how much love and community and belonging we need. Yeah. To like, that's what I'm like. Yeah. And everyone knowing kind of their place in that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Like I know, and at least for now, and maybe those will change, but like now I feel like nourish people, Mm -hmm. nourish people through a sense of welcome, through a solid conversation, whether that's soul food, like that's actual food or like, oh, okay. A moment of respite, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's where I find myself like literally right now Mm -hmm. that totally things can, I I think we have a problem of like, oh, I can evolve Mm -hmm. and that can change. And my point of focus can change. But like right now, you know, you said you felt between personal ancestral and everything, like a care with houselessness, Mm -hmm. you know, like I have been focused mostly on migrant and immigrant work. And that is probably deeply within my own ancestry. Mm -hmm. You know, like I didn't, wasn't like, Oh, I'm doing this for this. It's a mix of things that has drawn me to that. Mm -hmm. And I do find myself right now, like in the heart of welcome Mm -hmm. and hospitality. And that right now is my activism, right? Because it's also not when you realize like life is finite, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we might, I mean, go on eternally into a whole other world, but I only have so much life force Mm -hmm. and between sustaining myself, my inner circle, my students, you know what I mean? When we really get close instead of, I must be this showy thing of what I can actually Mm -hmm. do and bring. And I think the word I want to say is like offer, what can I offer this situation? Yeah. Right now. To me, that's, I've landed in like, okay, during the day I'm serving my students. I'm trying to create a place of welcome, a place of respite because they, they're, you know, and it's, they're going to go and that, you know, I'm going to have them for a little bit and then they go on their journey. So I feel like right now, like the table, I feel like it's like a pilgrimage spot. You know what I mean? And you are. Eat it, eat food, nourish yourself and go fight your fight. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. And you are very much embodied in activism in your job as a teacher too. Mm -hmm. And I could not agree more about iterations of our activism based on what we have capacity for Mm -hmm. at that phase of life. I just wanted to say that that piece about you know, I think there's a an ancestral component mm. to knowing that whatever form of activism we're involved in, it started before we were born and it will continue after we die. So we are just wanting to move the needle a bit. And so to remember that, like, we are not likely going to come to total completion on a certain cause in this lifetime. Mm. It's like, we are in a lineage. Mm. We like remembering that. That's so, I mean, and we're all like so self-centered and we don't Mm -hmm. see ourselves in these larger stories and lineages, which is I think another reason why I'm like, Lava Fana's table. Oh, this is a longer, we're in a long story, guys. Mm. We're a part of this story. It's going to continue. Yes. <laughs> Someone's going to pick up, yeah. you know, the past, the baton and continue the, the story. That does remind me of, I'm so bad with quotes. I'm praying that you know it or I'll find it after. It's from the Talmud. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are free to abandon it. I remember like, you know, when you get these little and they come to you at different points, life is cracking and breaking and, you know, people might call spiritual emergence, awakening, the enormity and yet, and that sick saviorism, martyr line that is so such a well-trodden path of, I think, of the collective conscious (laughs) was like, I felt all the weight and I literally was like, 
like taking on that level of responsibility, but not understanding my place in the larger context. It was like all of that weight just like came down. I'm trying to explain an inner experience that, you know, it's like I was having that experience like while getting gas at the, you know what I mean? It's like no one would know that you're having this inner experience of like feeling the enormity of that grief and then the delusional saviorism, you know, Mm -hmm. super, the lone superhero story that is like put that myth to death already. Like, I'm like, can we just kill this? Like the one superhero story? It's Mm -hmm. like so toxic. Mm -hmm. But like, as what you're just saying, and you know, that we, we may be called to serve these repairing, maybe Mm -hmm. repairing these things that call to us because of a mix of, you know, personal, the things Mm -hmm. that break our heart or the things that, you know, where we end up working or knowing you can't do everything. Like you can't do everything. (laughs) You can't. So how does family constellations and courting convergence help us do what's ours? Can you tell me that? I don't know how to answer that because it is such a felt thing. Like, I love what you just said about how you said, I'm trying to articulate a very inner experience and I'm, I'm still in the mystery of this too. And Mm. so I just, I do know though, that part of this experience was feeling like some decisions I was making were larger than me in a whole new way. Okay. Like, There was something, and I don't mean this in such a woo way that it sounds because it, it was actually, like I said, kind of a cold sensation Mm. of being drawn in a certain direction. And so I just felt like something, like I was having to start making decisions that were more about what the collective maybe was asking of me mm. than my own individual aims. Like, okay, I want to do this and then I want to do that. And then I think I want to do that. It was like something kind of pulled me out of that sort of becoming and asked something else of me. I, it's mm. like, I, I, yeah, I, I wish I could articulate it more, but I think you almost answered your own question of like, tapping into this life force, this convergent life force might potentially lead us down paths that are using more of us. Like using or we're completely, what I love at Lab of Honest Table is we're allowed to edit out loud. (laughs) It's like, let's say, because I think there's a, what I feel is that there's a multitude of us in the past couple years yeah, who have had some profound inner experiences and Mm -hmm. shifts and that in order to really understand them is Mm -hmm. just get them out of the, out of this thing in its messy Mm -hmm. way and go, Oh, you know what I mean? It might be messy now. And then maybe we listen to this podcast and then we're like, Oh, who knows? Yeah. But that's to me, that's being open to the mystery of it and not, and not trying to, to control it. But like, if there's at any ability to translate the inner experience in words that other people might be able to go get a bit of, mm-hmm. I think it's worthwhile. Because mm. I think people are having experiences in the world right now in the collective, I mean, in terms of mental health, in terms of mm. all of these breakdowns that people do not have the words for. And if if there are more people who've you know gone through that, you know, you're like, okay, I've gone through one. And not that it's ever over. No. Nope. <laughs> not that it's ever over. No. Nope. That you're like, I, but I can language this a little or I can express it in a way mm-hmm. that someone is like, has something to grasp onto. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I don't know how we got there. <laughs> I love it though. Wherever we are. <laughs> <laughs> I love it wherever we are. We don't know where we are anymore. <laughs> Ah, this is a, this is the type of learning that I've always wanted to do where you can just meander down some random path of ideas and then end up here and then just laughing with each other. 
Yeah. And I, I think <laughs> that's never, it's not like allowed. <laughs> yeah. And I think that conversion, that convergence gives you a lot of room for imperfection mm. and mistakes and, you know, taking your contribution seriously, but not yourself. Mm. Ooh, well, well, put it, put it more on that. Um, Taking your contribution seriously, but not yourself. Yeah. I, I, I want more. <laughs> yeah. I think, how can I expand on that? Just that I personally am quite serious about doing something useful and worthwhile with my life. Yeah. Like I have a lot of passion and drive yeah. and care to and contribute. Cons- yeah. yeah. And I'm concerned about many things mm-hmm. and I want to be used in a good way. Mm. And it's good to have a little distance from over identifying with that, which is what you're talking mm. about with the martyrdom thing. Like yes. have a mission And don't identify solely with that. Like just, I mean, for me at the end of the day, it's just kind of making jokes about yourself while you're doing it. And and you're, you know, by messing up and, you know, part of that like moment of convergence from the spring I keep referring to trying to figure out was also a time of like, you know, finding like big shadow parts of myself that I hadn't found before, mm-hmm. like making more like errors relationally than I had experienced before. So that was part of it too. And having the capacity to not, you know, break down from that. Right. It's like, I think convergence is, it's a bigger place, a place that includes more, it's, it's being bigger. Is it being bigger or is 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 there a containment aspect of it? Like you're in a bigger playground or you're in a bigger, you know? I think it's being in a bigger container. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe the container of integration is smaller and it's more controlled and there's more walls and convergence is more like an ocean. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I see it or like, Mm -hmm. you know, I see the integration, right. As this, the individual journey. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to me, the, to me, when I hear convergence or like, I see it, you know, I Mm -hmm. see, you know, those individuals who are bringing that mostly integrated, mostly Mm -hmm. whole, whole ish, Mm -hmm. good enough ish Mm -hmm. could always still use a little bit work, especially when we convert, you know, Mm -hmm. like, to me, I see that as the multiple parts, like coming into this greater whole that like a pluribus unum, like out of many one mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, and obviously like that's the world and society, but like we have to live it in our, in our lives here. So mm-hmm. that's, I don't know. That's when, when I, when I hear, you know, integration versus convergence, that's the yeah the sense that I, that I get that these singular, you know, our little singular paths of individuation Mm -hmm. are finding a meeting place. That's brilliant. I love that. And it reminds me of the family constellations notion that there's sort of a, a freedom from a finding freedom from entanglement, mostly or imbalance, finding freedom from entanglement with your family or an ancestor. And when you've done a lot of that, you'll start to go into more freedom too. So I'm free from that. Now I need to find freedom too. So, and in my experience, freedom from can be painful and require catharsis. And freedom too is like, kind of terrifying because you are going towards an emergent path that has not yet been paved or trodden. And so it's so funny. You said like terrified and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, 
my inner, my little, like that moment, I was like, oh, and we're riding unicorns and we're going there. Like, that's what comes up for, like, Mm. I'm not terrified. Maybe Dina's terrified, but that little inner girl's like, let's go over there with the unicorns, Dina. I know you're scared, but like, that's what, when you say like freedom too, little Dina's flipping. She's like having the best time ever. Interesting. Yeah. I love that. So maybe. But it's playful. Like it feels like. When you say freedom from and going freedom to, uh-huh. I'm going to a playground. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. But and different people have obviously, of course, like different experiences with kind of freedom from work or freedom to work. Maybe some people freedom from work is colder and freedom to is like more mm-hmm. warm and hot. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's so much here. I love this conversation so much. I'm so grateful. But that there is a lot, you know, that's a lot to feel into the freedom. Mm-hmm. What do I want freedom from? That's been this mm-hmm. and freedom to do what? Mm-hmm. That is also, but that also freedom to requires responsibility. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's, oh my God, I have freedom. Like I can share a story, I guess that is a, arising. It's like, I had a pet sparrow for a year that uh, my ex and I had saved off of the street and he lived with us for a year. Open door policy, flying around the house and spring came and he was getting a little like, you know, okay, it's time for you to like go be a wild bird. (laughs) You're clearly a wild bird. So we brought him outside and he's flying off of my partner's shoulder and flying back. The whole world is there, but he keeps going back. And then finally he, he took off, right? And that's so perfect. And so the freedom to courage, courage, conviction, conviction, and, and that responsibility part, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm actually choosing this now. Mm -hmm. And part of the freedom from work is realizing your weight and getting your weight in order, you know, the weight of your system, the order of your system. And so when that's done, then you do have more courage and conviction and realize your responsibility can be held in the weight of your order and ancestry and it's kind of like you know you have the lineages go out like a v right and so it's like you have mom and dad and then you have grandparents on both sides and so it just Mm -hmm. keeps getting wider Mm -hmm. and that's all behind you so it's like when that is an order you have that weight with you so you feel more capacious of that responsibility and more. Well, I think you're going toward, I feel like instead of your answer, like being a weight, it's now pressing you. Mm-hmm. It's a support at your back, but there's like a, now a leaning towards your descendants. Like there's yes. an outstretched arm towards. Yeah. And by weight in this way, I really mean strength. Okay. It's like more of a horizontal weight. Okay. Instead of a like on top of weight, it's like the weight behind you. Mm. And that also in family constellations is what makes us trustworthy when we have the weight of our ancestry behind us. Mm. When we come from someplace, which we all do, but we have to acknowledge it. Is there anything else that you wanted to say particularly about that? There was like Mm. one other thing that I've written down that is like, Possibly a completely different topic, but I... Yeah, let's go with that. You want to go with that? It's based off of... I saw a story that you posted today, Uh and I was like, ooh, I want to talk about this. And you had posted something on eros, eroticism, and the pedagogical process, and you have the book with you? I do. Yeah, and I don't know, you know, how well I can speak to that yet. Well, not even as the... 
don't speak to it as the the professional speaking uh-huh. to it. I, I'm interested in you speaking to it as to what lit you up about it. What was shiny about that, mm. and why is that entering the conversation today? Not in any in the mystery yeah. of it. Not that I expect you to give a dissertation on yeah, it. Yeah, no. Just that. I mean, this is something that is so much now in the zeitgeist. But bell hooks wrote about this. 30 years ago that the body is in the classroom and Eros is in the classroom. Mm. And that is a part of how we acknowledge our full selves and in acknowledging our full selves, that's part of how we become free. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just super exciting to me to acknowledge that very basic fact that is now much more ubiquitous, Mm -hmm. but it also is a big subversion still to the patriarchy Mm. that we're allowed to bring pleasure and the body into our educational world. That, I mean, I've, I've kind of, I've, no, I've not read this and I can't speak to it at, at that level, but just like, you know, we don't, we were so cut off from like sensuality yeah, and all of those things. And I think about this as an educator too. And, you know, Lava Funnest Table is my place to be a learner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I having like the title of teacher is kind of cumbersome for me because mm-hmm. I don't want like, I'm a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that, that that's what we what we all are and we all teach each other at certain moments and we're all learning from each other at other moments. But like, I've often found that like, we have like a very, as I look at young people in the educational system now, this like, we lack sensuality in Mm -hmm. just life that that's like, and we don't see that as like a beautiful part and aspect of life force and what makes you want to learn Mm -hmm. that makes you go, Oh, I'm not just a head. Like my whole body is experiencing this. And I've done that like in small, like, you know, a lot of my language teaching is like, and kind of how I even kind of was like, oh, I have a body and my body has wisdom was, you know, learned accidentally through teaching my students language through a TPRS, which is a teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling, which utilizes a lot of physical gestures. And so everything, there is this like, so I'm teaching language and we're like house and, you know, go. And we make up physical gestures for all of these things. Amazing. And all of the little stories that we would create, very simple stories like, you know, Joe wants water, but, you know, there's a problem. And he, you know, then he goes and he flies on a monkey to the store and he gets water. You know, yeah, but that they were like locations. Yeah. All of these stories had like a certain location to it. And I kind of, that helped me kind of locate, like all of a sudden I was doing these very simple stories over and over again, these very simple story structures. And I was like, oh, there was something emerging in me of like understanding myself a story, like the, the wisdom in my body that it wasn't just my brain that needed to be working in a classroom, but like tapping into sensuality, eros, intuition, like all the stuff Mm -hmm. that you do not learn (laughs) in K through 12, you know, you're like, then you have to have some terrible dark night of the soul in your (laughs) twenties, make a terrible bunch of mistakes. Then you go, Oh, like, so I'm going now, this was 30 years ago. Now it's like the most present thing. How does it enter? If all of teachers don't quit teaching, Mm-hmm. How does Eros move into education? Like, really? Yeah. Great question. I don't, and all I can say is how different I feel after having acknowledged that. It's like, I didn't, you know, we're not talking about anything sophisticated, mm. but just acknowledging that mm. it's okay to be with, like, I just feel way more in my body. Mm. And also watching you. And hearing you talk about your experience using the body and education, like that I have a, I am more in touch with my sensory system sitting here talking to you. Mm. And I think that 
just makes me more present, makes this a, you know, I feel more authentic talking Mm. to you. It's, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. You know, I just have my personal experiences Mm. of reclaiming pleasure in many different ways. One being, you know, like where we started this conversation, dancing and drumming, Mm. the pizzica, the taranta, which is very much about Eros, right? And Mm -hmm. so, and it's like, it's not with a linear curriculum, right? It's just, okay, the body matters and family constellations. It's a lot about acknowledging what is. Like you said, I have a body, it's just that acknowledgement mm. brings us there. Yeah, where I, I mean, I, I feel that as like when acknowledgement, ha- like whenever, I feel it as like a, a scattery energy mm-hmm. in a way. And then when there's an acknowledgement, it just comes down. Yep. Does it make sense? I don't care about making sense. Like that's what, I, that's the, that's the sensation mm-hmm. that I feel like when you were making that when you were sharing that story of how that, that ancestor in a, that family constellation, like wanted to be acknowledged, mm-hmm. I felt like Eros in a very kind of personified way, just being like, yes, yeah, I'm present here. Mm. And I, right. Like, yes, just that. Yes. I think that is a big question. Definitely want to explore that more with whoever wants to have that conversation. Just like, you know, I've, I care about education. I do. And it's like, but I know that most of my education was actually very harmful (laughs) for like an intuitive, sensitive person Mm. that then like was like, oh, I'm not smart. Like, you know, you know, those things, these things don't get measured. You know what I mean? We're right. No one's giving like, oh, okay. You know, so I'm thinking about education that way. And I'm thinking about just like our young people and thinking about young people and like the hypersexuality and all of that. And I'm just, it feels like Eros just wants to be like, Hey, bring me into education in some kind of way that this life force and passion and all of that, which does not need to be sexualized can be seen as like the life force that drives our curiosity, our longing, our creativity, that 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 is part of the co-creative forces that like either create society or destroy society. And that's where I kind of feel like we're all like really screwed up. (laughs) You know what I mean? And no one wants, no one says it and no one talks about it. And, and, you know, from like a body based understanding of like, I'm still just angry (laughs) that in the middle of the pandemic, Like we were trying to get back to testing and I'm still angry that like some of the conversations are like, and students are behind. And I'm like, do you know what we should have done? We should have shut down all schools, made them trauma healing centers and just been like, this is the generation that we're going to, the emotional intelligence is going to go up through the roof and we're not going to worry about math (laughs) and this and that. And a couple other ones like this has got to be like, we're going to heal it (laughs) instead of like continuing down this, like let's compare ourselves to a, you know, our test scores are down and I can't even take that seriously anymore. Like not where we are as a people. And I feel like young people too are like, what are they going to walk into? It's like, that's just, you know, that's, that's all I can say. I have no answer. Yeah. All I know is I want to, you know, one answer to that is to have conversations mm-hmm. that are across the board, that are spiritual, that are cultural, that are educational, that are just the conversations that I've wanted to have when I was 17 or 15 or, and someone just being honest about those things, you know, where I think so much we've like judged and shamed and cut off like what errors the purpose of it in these life giving ways that are not destructive. And I feel like when it goes unacknowledged, yes, it gets, it it will destroy, it gets destructive. That's like my experience that, you know, that's, that's my experience, you know, like we may have to break this up into two different podcasts, but we'll, we'll see. But it's like, 
as a young person with a lot of creative energy, you know, and everyone has creative, you know what I mean? No one, everyone's an artist. Everyone is an artist creating and co-creating their life. But we don't know that. Mm-hmm. Like we have this wild, you know, oh my God. And you like that boy. And you know what I mean? Like I yeah. go back and I'm like, <laughs> why didn't someone show me how to maneuver Eros life force energy then? Mm-hmm. And like, what kind of society could we build if that energy was, you know, like harnessed in a life giving, in a life affirming mm-hmm. way? Yeah. And I think there used to be cultures of initiation (sighs) and in those, the elders were so present and aware of the youth that they kind of decided for them like, oh, that one likes that one. They're ready for an initiation. Mm. And so it was just there was a culture, there was some cohesion, there was some order of the generations. Mm. And yeah, we don't, we don't have that. We don't have, you said the conversations, you know, I think a lot of young people are even afraid to ask the questions. So if I ever come across young people that are not afraid to ask the questions. I'm so thrilled. Mm. I was afraid, you Mm -hmm. know? So yeah. Actually, I I would love to know, thinking of that, like thinking of earlier Maddie or of of, of the personal things in your life that have brought you to this work. What are the things, what are those kind of key moments in your journey that you might pinpoint Mm. as, as things that have brought you to you know, the work of family constellations and and convergence. Oh, gosh, I feel like that's really hard to be succinct about that. Let me start with my brother. So my brother has intellectual disabilities. I actually say that he is emergently abled because with his intellectual disability, I think that it gives him abilities that are more what we need in our emergence towards more of a culture of warmth and belonging and empathy and understanding. And so, you know, my brother is the most inclusive person I know He loves everyone, is interested and curious about everyone. Mm. He's so gregarious. And he just taught me how to love. Mm. And, you know, when I learn, like I just had a recent realization connecting him with family constellations that he is somewhat fixated on the family litany who is in relation to who and how, and not only about our family, but other people's family. He's very interested. Okay. What is your second cousin's name and how is your sister related to so-and-so? And so so he's very interested in that. And I just realized how that is a sort of family constellations thing. Essentially, Being a child from a system where my family, when my parents were divorced, it was just very complex. So I feel like navigating the complexity of characters with my mom and my dad and my brother just gave me a skill set to navigate complex systems. Mm. And then I did a lot of professional work in complex systems, small kind of family run organizations. So there's that. Yeah. The education piece, I, oof, I, yeah, I don't know how to be succinct about that, but I think what impacted me most positively was simply being recognized and seen by certain teachers along the way. I think that had the most impact in general and positive impact. And it's helped you in your own capacity to do the same. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I was very rigid and type A and Italy took that out of me <laughs> because it just doesn't work there. Mm-hmm. Your competence is not what matters most. That's like, you know, number 10 on the list where it's kind of number one or two in the U.S. It's so, I mean, it's so much more relational outside yeah. of the U.S. in general, right? So yeah, Italy had a tremendous impact on the way that I think speaking Italian also changed the way that I think. I feel like I access a whole different part of me with that language, Mm. just the fluidity of it, the musicality of it just opened me up in big ways. So I'm not really answering your question, but... Yeah. But those are some of those early experiences that influence. Obviously, you bring a lot of different things that you've studied into the work that you're doing, but the, the kind of personal aspects of yeah. what has what you bring into your facilitation. Right. Yeah, I think it really does mostly come down to my brother and that inclusivity and him. You know, he's my older brother. That's relevant in family constellations. And so... Yeah, he taught me about compassion and inclusivity and just having such a open, positive, gregarious stance with the world, you know, despite him being marginalized and excluded in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to do the little wrap up thing. Okay. You've got some journeys coming up and some experiences. We'll obviously include links for everyone, but if you wanted to just give a quick overview to keep in people's minds how they could actually experience boarding conversions with you. Thank you. Yeah. So I do in-person family constellations workshops on the Upper East Side in New York City once a month. And then for seven evenings in October and November, I'm doing a series called Courting Convergence. And you can come to one evening or all of the evenings. Yeah, on my website, there's the different topics that speak about that. So that's what's going on this fall. And yeah, then I'm going to do another sort of group in the spring. Yeah, that's it. So there's lots of little we'll stick to we'll go one yeah, yeah. We'll go one, one month at a time. We'll do one season at a time, and then come. Then we'll have to have you come back for this, love this other season. I love that. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming to Love of Fun's table and sharing your gifts so generously and contributing what is obviously like your soul's work. <laughs> thank you for um, having me. And we all hope that you guys got many nuggets out of this. (laughs) I hope so. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for pulling up a seat to La Bufana's table. To get episodes sent direct to your inbox, as well as other perks such as access to our monthly community and connection hours, be sure to subscribe to my substack, dinagregory.substack.com. Ciao.